welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Trevor Connor. You'll notice my co-host, Chris Case, is not doing this intro like normal. That's because at this very moment, he's in Louisville, Kentucky, racing the Masters 40-44 to National Championships. I'm sure he's about to add a National Champion jersey to the Colorado State Champion jersey he won two weeks ago. Of course, I may be a little biased, but I hope you can join me in cheering him on. It's the holidays. If you're like me, right now you're scrambling for gift ideas. So we're trying something new on Fast Talk and doing a gift episode. Of course, there's a ton of great gifts you can give that cyclist in your life, so we can't cover them all. Instead, we're going to focus on a few cool training gadgets, some of which you're very familiar with and some you may never have even heard of. We'll talk about what they are, how they're used, and whether we think they're worth putting under the tree or not. Of course, a few of these ideas may be a little too expensive for stocking stuffers. So it may be better to see this episode as our review of several cool, interesting, and potentially valuable training tools. Today we'll talk about the Whoop Recovery Strap, what it is, why it may be a valuable tool for tracking your recovery and our personal experience, both good and bad, with the tool. The Normatec Recovery System. Do they work and some thoughts on how to use them? If you listen to our recent episode on recovery, you already know our opinion but we certainly couldn't leave them out of an episode on cool training gear. Power meters. All right, that's nothing new or unique, but we'll give our hot takes on which are good and what to be careful about. The Leomo Type R, a truly unique device offering on-the-road biomechanical analysis that wasn't previously available. It's a fascinating tool, but as we'll discuss, it may be so new we still haven't figured out how to use it. And finally, we'll finish up with foam rollers. They may not be as sexy as some of our other gift ideas, but they're cheap and they work. Our guests today are our record holder and coach extraordinaire, Colby Pierce, along with Fast Cat owner and likewise coach extraordinaire, Frank Overton. At this point, do either of them really need an introduction on Fast Talk? We always love having them on the show and hearing their great insights. In addition, we'll talk with professional cyclist, Rebecca Roosh, and Apex coaching owner, Neil Henderson. Both have been at the top of the cycling world for years, so we'd definitely love to hear what gifts they'd like to get. Their answers were a little less tangible than you might expect. As always, if you have a minute, please take the time to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And keep those emails coming. We have a dedicated Fast Talk address, fasttalk at bellanews.com. So get out your wish list. Make sure you listen twice, and let's make you fast. Working on your holiday wish list this year? Normatec is the ultimate athlete gift, and for a limited time, you can save $200 and get free shipping on the Pulse Recovery System. An extensive body of research shows that Normatec increases circulations and reduces muscle stiffness. The result is that you can train harder and race faster. Normatec is the official supplier of USA Cycling and is also the same technology that riders like Tom Skynch, Taylor Finney, and the BMC race team all rely on. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Colby, for joining us. You've joined us many times before. We we know that our listeners out there love what you have to say about training, about uh, physiology, about 
coaching. So today we want to talk a little bit about devices, technology, things that your athletes use that you personally might use that also make good gifts for people perhaps, but really just the tech of training and our experiences with all the devices, what we like, what we don't like. That's sort of the overview of what we want to do today. So the only things I'm going to add here is all these are kind of neat training related tools that you might not have heard of. And the other thing I'm going to bring up is we have differing levels of expert knowledge on these different tools from having really beaten them up and used them for years to, hey, I read an article about that last night. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about all we know. So just to prepare you, some of the stuff we're talking about, uh, we can't claim that we, we know it inside out. The one other thing that I'll mention here is that this episode is brought to us by Normatech, and we'll definitely talk about Normatech on this show, not because they're an advertiser, but because we all have a lot of experience with their product. We believe in their product, and honestly, when we get to that section of a discussion, we might just turn it over to Colby and Frank, who have no association with the brand, just because Trevor and I do, and we want a completely transparent assessment of their product. And if I can jump in and just kick things off maybe a bit by saying there are a lot of gizmos and gadgets that have come out in the last, well, 10 years, really. Um, all kinds of toys people like to play with. That's great. Everybody likes a new toy. I like cool new things and gizmos, but I, I try to apply a pretty hard line to the stuff that I recommend either that I try and I try to try it myself or that I recommend my athletes use. And two of the rules I have that I found useful to be as a dividing line are one, does it teach me something about myself or my training or my load that I didn't know previously that I couldn't figure out before. And my example for that is simply the power meter. I've been on SRM since 1994. I think Fodders and I were the first guys to get SRMs in the U.S. after Le Mans. How's that for a name drop? Hey. Well, um, <laughs> but that taught me a lot. I mean, when you get on your power meter for the first time, you figure out like, oh, wow, I thought my effort was exactly the same for that five-minute interval, and it really wasn't. I destroyed myself for the first minute and then fell off a cliff. So on a basic level, power teaches us things about our bodies and about our effort on the bike that we wouldn't know without that data. So that qualifies it as a useful training device for sure. But I try to apply that same basic concept to a lot of other devices that come out. The other one that I like is, does it give me something actionable? The, the device may give you some information, but does that information actually change the way I'm going to coach my clients? Does it give me some tool that I can use or some insight into their training or their workload or their recovery that I didn't have before? And a lot of devices do give you information, but it's maybe something I've already figured out. So, and there, there is a threshold of information, time, energy that we can all spend learning about these new devices, carrying around chargers, uh, operating them, downloading the data, figuring out how to get our clients to do all those things. Right. And that comes at a price. So we have to be selective about the information that we ask our clients to give us and the things we, the hoops we ask them to jump through because everybody's got limited time and energy, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, Frank? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this actually reminds me of the supplements question. What supplements do you take? And then for me, I'm always advocating a healthy, nutritious diet. And when people ask me, what tech should I get? I'm like, do you have a power meter? And they say yes. And I say, okay, we're, we're good. Let's go. Yeah, start that. <laughs> yeah, start there. Yeah. So let's start with a few products that we have all used, beaten up pretty well and know pretty well. So how about we start with... The Whoop Strap, which Frank, you actually introduced us to. And Colby introduced it to me. So, <laughs> Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Colby's the... Frank, why don't you okay. tell us what it is? 
So the WHOOP is like a power meter for your recovery. Uh, the in metric is a recovery score that is like a stoplight, red, yellow, or green. You want to be in the green, and then if you're in the red, that means you're not recovered, and then if you're yellow, you're kind of somewhere in between. And so for me as a coach and an athlete, pre prior to the WHOOP, I was always assuming, okay, there's been a rest day on the training plan, there's been a rest week, and then the athlete is recovered. And then what I discovered for myself as an athlete, what I saw you know, coaching a lot of athletes that are using the WHOOP is just because you have a rest day doesn't mean you're going to be recovered. recovered. So then you start diving into, well, why not? And so that, like what Colby's mentioning, is a, a device that helps you learn something about the athlete and it's actionable. It's like, okay, why didn't you recover last night? Well, because I only slept six hours. And then we have the whole sleep conversation. Like you need, you need to actually get more sleep. And then, then there's HRV, which is a whole ball of wax. That's, you know, we could open up a, we could have multiple podcasts on, right, that, on HRV. Right. But when you're looking at the recovery score, how the whoop arrives at the recovery score, it's based on sleep, strain, and your HRV. Yep. Strain HR, just HRV to stands for? For heart, those that don't know, heart rate variability. And just to, to for anybody who hasn't heard of this, it is a wrist-based measurement device that takes all-day heart rate variability. So there's a lot of watches now that will measure your heart rate off your wrist, but this is the only one that does heart rate variability and heart rate. So that's the what is the length of time between each beat and how much does that length of time vary from beat to beat to beat? And the idea being the more heart rate variability you have, the more recovered you are. Yes. And it's much harder to measure. So this is actually a pretty sophisticated device that it can give you heart rate variability throughout the day. Yeah. It, it, you wear it 365, 24-7. And like I said, you know, so HRV, sleep and strain. Strain, it's, um, it's recording your heart rate. 24-7 when you sleep, when you're awake, and then when you're exercising. So you have your sleep, sleep heart rate strain, your daily strain just from sitting there, and then your exercise strain. And so that was kind of an eye-opener for me because I could turn in, I'm just going to throw a number out there, a 20 from doing a two-hour ride, whereas um, my power meter was saying, well, that load was a lot less, but that my strain, what's going on in my body physiologically, was actually a lot more than what I thought it was. And so I wasn't recovering enough. And 20, a lot, 20 is high in the really release. So on the 21 scale. is the highest, yep, and it's a, a right. logarithmic scale. So actually yep. the difference between 20 and 21 is much bigger than the difference between like 5 and 10. Yeah, yeah. Like 6 to 8 is like your day strain if you just lay on the couch and – 12 to 14 is light, maybe a one hour ride. And then 14 to 18 is maybe a two hour ride and 18 plus is getting well, up there. That's what's interesting is I have some clients who have noticed that on particularly hard work days, mm. they'll actually oh, yeah. have a higher total strain than they will on a lighter average training wow. day. Mm -hmm. So hmm. that was an insight in and of itself because we tend to think as coaches of the athletes, like, like you said, right. okay, you've done three days of, you know, medium, hard, medium, and now you've taken a rest day. But that's looking, that's really only considering the strain of the athlete on the bike. But the truth is we all have life stress. We all have stress, um, you know, dealing with our job or maybe, maybe you have a day where you have to do some moving of heavy objects or whatever you've got, or if you have a particularly physical job and some days are more physical than others. So that impacts your strain a lot. And that was a pretty big insight for me. And this is one of the only tools we have to have a window or uh, a way to look at that strain that our clients carry off the bike, life stress, mm -hmm. job stress, relationship stress. 
And this can really show how almost anything affects you. You brought this up, and I actually experienced this a couple nights ago. You have a beer, oh, and yeah. you can just see how much it affects your sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had uh, I had a beer on, what was it, Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then got a longer-than-normal sleep. Mm-hmm. But my recovery the next day was awful. And you looked yeah. at it, it was even though I was in bed for a long time, I didn't get much deep sleep. I didn't mm-hmm. get much REM sleep. It was really low-quality sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Your HRV tanks when you, when you drink alcohol. And that's the awareness that the whoop mm-hmm. uh, brings to you from, from wearing it. Relationship stress, mental stress. If you get in a fight, if you have stress at work, if you're about to get fired or if you do get fired, for example, you know, it's going to, if you toss and turn at night, not only do you sleep poorly, but then you wake up and you have a poor HRV and then you have a poor recovery score. And then you probably shouldn't do your intervals that day. And that's how it works. It's, so it's really nice just for bringing more awareness to the athletes. So what do you guys think of this? Is, is it a good product? Is it worth the money? Oh, yeah. I'm I, a fan. Um, so I've used the Whoop. Actually, this is the first week I haven't had it on in two years. So I <laughs> okay. um, wore it for two years straight. And got the first thing I'll say is I've got quite a bit of consistent data from it. And that in itself is a challenge. You know, I worked for Garmin for a year uh, for the Pro Tour team back in 2013. And just getting the athletes to get power data consistently and then get it uploaded, that's one of the challenges. So whenever you have any kind of device you want to collect data from your athletes on what do you, you need you need a big pile of accurate data so getting that data so the device the whoop device i think in terms of its chargeability its wearability it's day in and day out it's pretty good i think the sleep scores for most athletes and most users i found to be pretty useful a small percentage of people i know have struggled to get accurate sleep scores um chris being one of those and maybe you can talk a little bit about yeah, that with some of the limits there um for me i found it to be pretty on the nose for me personally, in terms of when I woke up and felt smoked, like, whoa, where is that truck that just reversed over me? The whoop would reflect <laughs> that score. But I think one of the one of the limiting factors for the whoop, a couple limits are, one, it is wrist-based and there's some conflicting science about where the best place to take heart rate or HRV measurements are. And there's right. some people who challenge the wrist location. They do make a bicep strap, which I have not played with. Some athletes have reported better results with that. But anything that involves a lot of wrist swinging or heavy wrist or arm activity, if you went and played golf, your strain score would probably be inflated. There's not only optical sensors in there to get heart rate and HRV. There's also accelerometers and some other temperature sensors and some other things. So it's a very complicated device. So there are some limits there that it stands to follow that if you used it on a mountain bike or during cross, especially like an off-road non-suspended bike, your, your strain scores might be inflated. You'd probably have to do quite a bit of cross riding to really have it have an impact. But I have noticed that the recovery detection feature is it waxes and wanes for me. There are times it would be pretty accurate, and there are other times where it'd be like, mm, this isn't quite really right on. But that said, I still felt like it accurate, accurately reflected my cumulative training load and life stress for the most part. Where I found it particularly actionable was, and this I thought was interesting. This this fits my first rule of does the technology teach you anything about yourself you didn't really necessarily know, or does it expand your boundaries of awareness? There are mornings where I would get up and my feet hit the ground. We all do the same thing as athletes. We all kind of take the first step out of bed and immediately make this micro calculation. How tired am I? Mm -hmm. How hosed are my legs from yesterday's super training ride or whatever I did, you know, or yesterday's rest day? Am I recovered? Are my legs light and fluffy? Am I ready to go? (laughs) Don't go do intervals. (laughs) Or, ooh, do I need another day? Fluffy legs. And what I found was on days where I was, I felt recovered, immediately hit the ground and Mm -hmm. felt good. The whoop almost always agreed with me. But there were some days where I got up and my legs felt heavy and sluggish. And there were days where the whoop would actually contradict that and say, "Mm, you're green today. Your recovery score is 86 out of 100. 
And on those days where initially I was convincing myself, I should probably take a rest day. I have a bunch of work to do. I've got this and that going on. I probably don't need to train today. On those days where the the recovery score, in fact, was green, if I would go out on the bike, inevitably, I did feel very good. So it was was good to trust the whoop. In that that case, it was good to trust the whoop. And then there were other days where I would have trained for maybe a couple days hard in a row or medium in a day in a row. And I'd think to myself, I can handle one more day. I can go out and do that really hard ride I had scheduled today and wake up and be red. And on those days, when I tried to push through anyway, which I did do a few times just to see, it never worked out well. Mm. I could tell that my nervous system was blown. And usually there were other additional cofactors of fatigue that went along with that. That said, cycling is a sport where you can ride hard with a pretty blown nervous system when you're accustomed to it and you're, shall we say, mentally sort of tough enough to handle it. I mean, there's no question that two and a half weeks into a Grand Tour. And depending on the objective, for sure. Exactly. So the experience I've had with it, uh, I'm mixed. You know, so I've been wearing it for about six months, besides the, the fact that you have to recharge the battery every two days, which I, I hope they, with future models, improve that. I find it gives very useful data where I've been having issues with their interpretation. And I do think they need to work on their individualization. They really kind of say, everybody's the same. Here's what everybody needs. And so one of the issues I had that you kind of brought up is the strain score. So, for example, when I was down in Tobago, I did the hardest race of my life on the Sunday which was this six hours killing myself on the hardest hills I've ever hot. been on. Super hot, everything. Yeah. Couldn't walk for the next two days. So I did get a strain score of like 20.5. But the previous day, I went out and did a fairly easy two and a half, three hour ride. And it gave me a strain score of like 19 point something. Mm. These rides were not anywhere close to one another. And I do find with me, it just isn't used to a cyclist who or doesn't seem to adapt to a cyclist who does as much volume and training as I, I do. So even my recovery rides get a fairly high, too high a strain score, in my opinion. Well, one but limitation the, for the device potentially is that it, it was made with team sports and some ball right. sports in mind to a degree. So that's know. what I mean by the individualization. Yes. But the, the bigger one that I have an issue with is the sleep. It, it really, they, they make the assumption that everybody needs eight hours of sleep a night. And I'm someone, I have that genetic allele that makes me a short sleeper. So if I'm not training, I need four hours a night when I'm training. I'm so envious of that. Sorry, it's what, what's this <laughs> one well, I hear about? <laughs> Trevor's special. Look, uh, <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of genes I, I wish I hadn't gotten, but this one kind of made up for it. So, but yeah, when I'm training, I'm, I'm five, six hours of sleep a night. And the whoop has been arguing with me constantly and started telling me, it went the exact opposite way. It would tell me, you need 11 hours of sleep tonight. Mm-hmm. Even though my resting heart rate would be low, my heart rate variability would be up around 180, it would still give me these really low recovery scores because mm-hmm. I was getting so little sleep. And it Probably just is too far off the bell curve. It just never figured me out. They have since done an update where they look more at your circadian rhythms mm. to see what you need. And all of a sudden, they've gone from recommending eight hours, or sorry, eleven hours of sleep a night to more like seven or eight. So it is getting better. But I do think they need to work a little bit on that, figuring each person out and, and individualizing it to the, the particular athlete. So as a result, I went months and months and months and never got a green score wow. once on my recovery. Wow. And it yeah. was always, even on recovery weeks, when mm-hmm. I'd finish a week feeling great, it would be like, you're overtraining. You need to stop. Yeah. yeah. So clearly as an outlier, you challenged the, yeah. this, the status of their system, which is good. Great feedback for them, I'm sure. In my opinion, for, for people like us that are in tune with our bodies as athletes, I think 
maybe the benefit is smaller than somebody who isn't so aware of things. And it really gives you some feedback to chew on and to learn from. So those out there that are just either either not as uh, experienced athletes or don't ride as much and don't aren't aware of their sensations like we are sitting around this table. I think the scores and the the interface and all of those things can lead it, someone to think a lot about habits, sleep mm-hmm. habits, drinking, reco- habits. drinking habits, recovery habits. So I think that that there's a great benefit to that side of it. Personally, it just didn't seem to work very well for me in that every night, um, and, and I worked with Whoop to figure out if it was the device itself that was defective or where it was on your wrist and how tight it was and all of those things, because those are crucial to getting good data. But I would wake up every night and it would say I woke up at, at midnight. I'd go to, I'd have gone to bed at 10 and I'd woken up at midnight and I was, that was just not true. And I'd have to manually tell the device every night that I had slept until seven in the morning or something like that. So it just wasn't doing what it was intended to do. And same thing with riding. It just wouldn't automatically detect that that was mm-hmm. an event or a workout or something like that. So I'd have to manually enter that. And I don't know exactly why that is. I have skinny wrists. I don't know if <laughs> anybody around this table <laughs> doesn't have skinny wrists, yeah. but just didn't work as well as I had hoped. But that's just me. I think, again, I think for a lot of people, this could really educate them about their bodies, sensations, help them understand themselves a lot more. Chris had a very interesting response that when he was training normally, it was giving him varied recovery levels. But then we did a, a four-day training block that was designed to fatigue Chris, and we definitely fatigued him. He was, he was riding five, six hours a day, getting ready for Dirty Kansas. And during those four days, the Whoop told him he was getting more and more recovered. And yeah. it was given like 90% recovery scores by the end of the camp. Which... Depending on the training load, I think that's actually possible. I mean, we're talking about response of the nervous system. It's not necessarily muscle damage. It's not necessarily oxidative load. It's not necessarily glycogen depletion. Those are different types of fatigue. And so I would argue that if the device is working properly, it could actually help you differentiate as an athlete between which types of fatigue you have. I think I have a little bit of insight in this just from being a track rider. When you do a six-day race, you race about – I raced in the European six-day circuit for about four years. You race about 100K a night. The racing's really hard, but you're also in a pretty small gear. So you're pedaling at extremely high cadences. Mm. We're talking 30 to 40 minutes at well over 130 RPM at maximal effort. Now, you're of course, you're inducing all the normal stresses that you get during hard exercise. You're getting some aerobic oxidative stress. I mean, you're getting muscle damage, but really you're getting an overwhelming amount of central nervous system fatigue just from not only pedaling that fast, that hard, but also from doing a Madison on a team on a 200 meter track with 16 other teams, <laughs> uh, which is amount amounts to a live video game. So that's a lot of neural input that you have to negotiate and trying not to die. That's very stressful in the nervous system. So maybe your nervous system was actually in a good rhythm and you, mm-hmm. and I'm just hypothesizing here, obviously, but you got, you're saying I have a strong brain, you got a strong brain, man, strong <laughs> nerves. Big, 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 big I, brain. I have a, According to my uh, ophthalmologist, I have a gigantic optic nerve, if that matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't all athletes have that? Did you get that test where they look into your eye? Yes. They say all endurance athletes are well vascularized or in oh. their capillaries, <laughs> their optic nerve. Huh. Okay, so the whoop. Yay, nay, or yay with an addendum? 
I like it. Uh, athletes are going to learn something about themselves and bring more awareness to their lifestyle that will benefit their training. Therefore, I, I approve. And we're early adopters. You know, I mean, this is yeah. a relatively new product. It was comes out of ball and stick sports, which you alluded to that, you know, it could use some customization. So you know, I, I hope the company continues to develop and innovate the, the product and kind of look at like, you remember where power meters were 20 years ago? You know, yeah. maybe whoops at the forefront of that mm -hmm. going on right now. Maybe that's also the next step is integration of all of the things that we're talking about here is sort of like... Multi-platform. Mm. Yeah. 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 Cross so they could all talk to each other. Yeah. So Colby, yay, nay? I'd give it a yay with, with some caveats. I mean, both your experience, Trevor, and Chris's experience indicate that it may not work for all athletes. That said, I believe the company has great customer service. And if you invested in one and it wasn't working for you, I think they'd work with you on that. So if you are curious about it and you want to try it, I wouldn't let that hold you back. But I, I agree with Frank's assessment. Like it's, it's a good learning tool. It does give you... If, it follows my first rule. It teaches you things about yourself that you previously maybe were misguided on or didn't understand, or it gives you another level of insight. So overall, I think it's a good tool. And I agree. Early adopters. So yep. cool. I'm the same. I'm, I'm a yay. Despite my issues, it, it collects great data. Um, and I can certainly look at the data and interpret myself. And I think over time, it's really just the, the software and the interpretation, which I think they're going to improve over time. Chris, I'm, you I'm, threw yours at me and said oh, you don't ever want to see it again. Well, so. you know, I'm not a device guy, honestly, but I, I am still a yay. I think that a lot of people could benefit from it, despite my issues. Like Kobe said, if you tried it and it didn't work, hopefully the company would work with you. But I think I'm an outlier. That's what it is. All right. Well, let's next talk about Normatech, which many listeners out there have probably heard our episode on uh, recovery and devices to help with recovery. And, and in that, we spoke about Normatech at length, and we had some guests on there from Normatech. These are their moon boots, as mm -hmm. I think Frank calls them. They're the devices that compress your legs in uh, specific patterns to help move fluids and blood and, and other things through the leg. This is a very simple uh, description of what they do. Up from the extremities, they make they make legs, they make arm devices, they make hip devices to help in the recovery process. And there are other um, brands that make similar devices out there. There are podium legs. There are other devices out there that do similar things, not exactly the same thing. So because Normatech is sponsoring this podcast and they've sponsored us in the past, Trevor and I, Trevor and I are going to refrain from this discussion a little bit, just so there's like transparency here for, for listeners out there. We want an unbiased opinion on this product. So Frank, at one point, I think you had a, a studio that people could come into and use Normatech. So why don't we start with you? Let us know how you feel about this product and, and what are the benefits of it, do you think? Yeah, I like them. I think they are very, as close as a single user can get to a massage. So it's like getting a massage, but not, not quite as good. We had them in our, uh, per, our performance center in 2010. I paid full retail. So I think I'm, <laughs> uh, you know, I can talk however I want about Normatech. They're wonderful devices. You, you put them on. It's a peristaltic pulse. It squeezes at first your feet, then your ankles, then your shins. And it just moves the, the pressure up, up towards your hips. And it, you know, it squeezes your, 
your legs and it helps the venous return of blood back to back to your heart. It also squeezes your lymphatic system. So it helps uh, flush out the, your lymph system for all the, the byproducts of exercise and using them. Your legs are getting squeezed the, towards the end of the cycle. It's fairly intense. It kind of feels like a blood pressure cuff at the very end of the, the reading. And you get out and you're like, oh, okay. And <laughs> your legs feel a little bit better. But the next day on the bike is kind of where I draw most of the conclusions. And your legs feel, feel better. Um, kind of like if you'd gotten a massage the day before. And because it's more convenient than a massage where you don't have to, you know, schedule the appointment and go somewhere. And that might be like a two hour round trip. Whereas the, the Normatex, we could just slip them on and use them for 30 or 60 minutes. And you can use them any time of day. You could like read a book, you could take a nap, you could watch TV. So as a athlete and a coach, we used to let athletes just come in and, and use them. And everyone loved them because it made them feel all pro <laughs> because, you know, they'd seen this is what the, you know, the guys in the Tour de France are using. So yep. it was a, a cool gee whiz product. And but then they they could feel it. And sure enough, their legs felt a lot better. No one was really willing to like pay for it, per se. I don't well, think if it, you were it, giving it away for free, why would they? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Did, uh, no one's going to like pay as much as they would for a massage to, to use the, the, the space legs, as we used to call them. Um, but nevertheless, there was a lot of people that um, swore by them, and, and I still do. I, I, I use uh, testimonies. Mine have lasted eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still have the same, same boots and everything. I'd like to get a new pair, so maybe. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever um, put them on at night and just fallen asleep and slept eight hours while the Norman Tex were running? <laughs> I have not done that. I've taken a nap, and... At the end of the cycle, the the pressure releases and it lets off a fairly. Mm. It's like a whoosh, yeah, right, and right. that usually wakes me up. <laughs> yeah, so never never slept in them. I think you should try it. Okay. Do you? Do you? No, <laughs> no, I have not done that either. But you know, and originally the company was established as a medical devices company, mm-hmm. and there are certain people in the world that have conditions where they will they will be in these Normatec type devices for overnight, you know, oh, wow. because of the edema that they might be having. Wow. Well, I've got something to do. Colby got me to the point where I was sitting, I would put the Normatex on and then put my feet up the wall mm-hmm. for extra flush. Yes. And it takes, you have to do some serious acrobatics to get your butt up against the wall <laughs> with, true. The, right. with the space legs on. It's uh, Then your roommate walks in at that exact moment and you've got a little explaining to do. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like them a lot. Cool. And Colby, what uh, what's your experience with them, and what do you how do you feel about them? I, I agree with Frank. I think they're a great product. What I like about them is I've had a lot of different massages uh, over the years from different therapists because I was on the national team for ten years traveling, and and you just end up with your legs on a lot of different tables in that scenario. And I got different results from different massage therapists. I had some good massages, I had some great massages, and I had some massages where afterwards I was going, hmm, I'm a little flat, or that was a little too deep, or Something about the technique. I mean, there's a lot of variability in how a human flushes your lymphatic system and muscles when they're working on you. A lot of different pressure and pace and all those types of little things. And what I like about the Normatec is it's a known quantity. For me, my legs just feel lighter after I use them. I find them to be a really useful tool for me. In fact, thus far, I would argue that I can almost do no wrong with them. And as a testimonial to that, I use them the day before the day of my hour record before mm-hmm. I rode. I used them so. Yeah. And my experience with massage is that 
especially during the World Cup season, I would get a massage the night before, for example, the points race. And in the morning, you always have qualifying. And more often than not, I would ride the qualifier and have this burning sensation in my legs, very like things need to be blown out. And then I would come good for the final and usually feel quite good. But going through that process of having a qualifier where my legs were sort of almost burning and not feeling great was very nerve wracking. It took me a long time to figure out. And then eventually I was smart enough to calculate that it was massage that was doing that. Um, it's, it's been said I'm a bit of a princess in the piece, so <laughs> maybe I'm the only rider to ever experience that, but I stopped getting massage the night before World Cup finals. But the Norm Techs do not have that effect for me. So I don't know what's different about them, but they always make my legs feel better. I'll say that. So I think they're a pretty powerful tool. I only acquired a pair pretty late in my career, meaning like about a month and a half ago. <laughs> um, and it's career in air quotes. But if I could <laughs> rewind on. the clock and go back, I would. that's a tool that I would have acquired much earlier it in seems my like, riding. It seems like it would have been an awesome thing to have for six days. It would have. <laughs> yeah, all those 60-kilometer Madisons, good time to – and 100K Madisons, yeah. Well, I know we weren't going to talk about this product, Trevor, but I know you love it. So, so – did you bring your Normatex with you when you traveled down to Colorado this time? I did. So I brought a second bag just so I could bring them. So let's go around the table with just Frank and Colby this time. <laughs> yay, yay or nay on, on Normatex? I'm going to say yay with a caveat. They are a little pricey. But if you're getting massage, so let's say you pay $75 an hour and you get that once yeah. a week, these are going to pay for themselves. Absolutely. So if you're serious about your recovery and uh, – you want to be able to to train more and train harder. I'm a I'm a big fan. Yay. I'm a big yay on these. I think they're a super useful tool. I mean, some people obviously can't afford them, but if you can, you have the means. I, I recommend that athletes have them in their toolbox for sure. It's a useful tool in your arsenal, in my opinion. All right. Let's turn our attention to power meters. There's been so much development in power meters. We've got, it's all relative, but we've got cheap power meters. We've got high-end power meters. We've got things that are based around cranks, things that are based around wheels, etc. So let's let's talk there and, and the benefits of power meters generally. Maybe we'll start with Colby because I know he has some opinions sort of generally about power meters. Obviously, there's a benefit to power. It's revolutionized our sport. Cycling went in the 70s from being one of the least quantifiable, most old school sports worldwide to now other sports look to cycling to see what we're doing with data because there's no swimming power meter, right? And there are a couple little running power meters going on, but it's very hard to quantify the athlete's output during other sports. So we've got to, uh, because of our mesh with machine, our, our um, riding bikes, we've got an, a way to use technology as a window into our performance. That's pretty neat. That said, if your data is not accurate, what are you doing? Um, it's going to point you in the wrong direction or worst case, make you go slower. And I think that's worth examining really carefully accurate collection of data and and data that you get on the big picture so you can look at the global changes of an athlete or the annual changes of an athlete that's what's going to get you somewhere as a coach or if you're a self-coach it's what's going to make you see see real and um, definite progress in your training that's so said what i'm hearing you say is that there's there's you have to be cautious when you're purchasing these things because you you just have to understand no its capabilities no question and so I'll mention that, okay, what is power made of? It's it's a calculation based on cadence and torque, right? So it's how hard you push on the pedals and how quickly you, you push the pedals. And so if you want to improve power, you can either pedal faster or pedal harder or do some of both. What I'll mention is that some power devices, power measuring devices calculate cadence using an accelerometer and accelerometers are not perfect. So if you're not getting ideal data, 
then in part of your power calculation, then automatically you know there's an error rate introduced into your calculations. So that's one challenge of some manufacturers. The other one I'll mention is that there is a proliferation of one-sided power measuring devices out on the market. Um, some of them are on cranks, some of them are on pedals, and that's not a scientific device. Ostensibly it is, but it's not if you think about it. If I put a caliper on a seat post and that seat post measures 27.2 millimeters, I shouldn't be able to look at the caliper and say, well, I really want it to be a 30.9 because that's what size my frame is. <laughs> But on a power measuring device that only measures one side, what they're doing is they're measuring one leg's output and doubling it. That means the user can consciously or unconsciously change the output that you see on the screen. So what do we all do? When we're all riding hard, we stare at the power number and we wish for it to be bigger and we push harder and we push harder or we pedal faster and we pedal faster and we want it to be bigger. I'll just throw this out there as a hypothetical. Like I don't know that anyone does this, but it's possible. If you started to subconsciously associate higher pressure on the left side with a power meter or a power measuring device that was only taking measurements from the left side, it's quite feasible that you could, without even knowing it, start to push harder on that side and get inflate your numbers. And it's very easy to do this. So it's not, when I say it's not a scientific measuring device, what I mean is the outcome is influenceable by the user. You can't do that with a caliper. Also, if I had you stand on a scale and you weighed 150 pounds, and then I told you to put one foot on the scale and one foot on the ground, and let's just see what that number is and double it. <laughs> You'd say, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay, so I'm really not trying to bash anyone here. There are a lot of good products on the market, and an entry level, we'll call it power meter, that measures one side and doubles it can definitely give someone a window into the world of what power is, what training stress is. It gives someone an idea. They can still learn a lot from that device. But I think as a coach or a rider, you have to be very careful about long-term progress of that athlete using only those devices. And also the unfortunate part is anytime you have like a record 20 minute or five minute and it's using one of those devices, you have to question it. You really have to look at it in context and say, well, did the athlete also win the race and beat athletes that they were normally not beating or have a, a breakthrough performance? Or we looked at their real time on that climb and they also set a Strava record. Okay. Then maybe that power number is correct. But if they didn't, you just don't know what to trust. You can't always trust the data. So it gets a little tricky. We've talked about this before, and I think one of the most important things to remember is there, there's question of validity and there's question of reliability. Mm -hmm. And you see power meter companies talk about 1%, 2% difference between power meters. I don't personally buy that. I've coached enough athletes and seen them switch power meters mid-season to see quite dramatic changes in power. We're, we're talking 10%, sometimes more. So I am not a believer that when you get on one of these power meters, you're seeing your true numbers. You're seeing something around there, but you're not really seeing the true numbers. So to me, what's more important is reliability, that you can get on that same power meter every day and whatever was 300 watts yesterday is still 300 watts today and will still be 300 watts tomorrow. And I have seen with some of these cheaper, newer power meters, sometimes that reliability isn't there. And I think once you have that issue, then you have a tool you shouldn't be using. If it's not quite accurate, but you're getting reliable data, at least you can constantly compare yourself to yourself and, and see improvement. Agreed. And then, Frank, you've mentioned in the past that you've had riders who've had multiple different power meters on different bikes. Oh, my gosh. It, <laughs> That's a nightmare. <laughs> you, you just It's a head scratcher. You're, you're looking at why... Why their FTP is probably around 275 one day and then, you know, only 210 the, the next. And it 
physiologically, it doesn't swing that much. And so then you're pointing back to the power meter as an explanation of why. And, and then you're like, okay, well, which power meter is it? You don't know. You can't find out. And they calibrate it each time they rode, you know, there's that's, that's worthless. Um, and until you know which power meter is the good one and which one is the bad one, then it becomes a matter of data integrity. Do you trust the data? And, and if you can't trust the data, but then you got to throw it out. Yeah, Frank, I couldn't agree more with you. That that issue with multiple power meters is such a big one to me that I actually travel with my power meter. I don't bring my bike down here, but I bring my power meter down here. And I will move it around between my bikes because having knowing that I'm getting the same numbers on whatever bike I'm on is really, really important to me. So I'd rather do that than have three, four power meters. May I ask you what kind of power meter that is? Because now when you're talking about pedal-based power meters, it's not. when you move those things around, the Sometimes calibration you changes. And you, are yeah. you bringing your torque wrench as well? I actually do okay. carry a torque wrench. Is it a, a pedal-based power meter? No, I have a cork. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When, when the pedal-based power meters came out, the consumer was like, sweet, I'm moving these to every bike, mm-hmm. one power meter for me. And the numbers got gobbledygook real quick with uh, the torque. Yep. I mean, I come from biotech. We had million-dollar exp- uh, scientific instruments, and they you'd spend six months calibrating them. And then if it gave you one piece of bad data, guess what? That study is not going to get published in the scientific right. literature. You have to throw that data out. And so each athlete has their own data set. And when you're generating bad pieces of data or if you're editing data in software because there's erroneous, weird spikes, then you do, do you trust that data? Right. I don't. And so then I'm like, well, we can't draw any conclusions from this. And then this is where, you know, just common sense prevails when you're looking at data. It's like, well, did you do well in your race? Yep. yep. Okay. Yes. And because like performance is the greatest indicator of performance you know and i think andy coggins said that he's like the best yep. predictor of race performance is, is performance what place you got yeah not yeah. your power data yes and so that that's why i mean common sense prevails mm. 20 years ago is srm and it worked great great power meter data it had been calibrated against a dynamometer if i'm pronouncing that right power tap comes along they also uh scientifically validated their Power data, you know, Dr. Alan Lim, you know, that was his research thesis. So those were two really good power meters and the data was spot on. And then comes Quark and they were, they were good. And then comes this whole wave of other new, way cheaper power meters. And then all of a sudden we're having these problems. And what I tell my athletes, kind of like what you were alluding to is, is reliability. Does this power meter tell you 300 watts? day after day. And, and that's pretty good. And so that gets the athlete into the ability to, to, um, power-based training, which is great. And you just have to kind of, you know, be on the alert for your, your data if you're using a cheaper power meter. So if somebody comes to you and say that budget isn't, uh, you know, a barrier, what do you recommend to them? And you don't necessarily have to name a brand, but what do you uh-huh. tell them to look for in the power meter that they should purchase? Or you can name names. I mean, we SRM, SRM through and through. It's the gold standard, and and I I like SRM because I trust the data. The over the years when I have been analyzing files, that's the power meter that has never given me any reason or cause to be like, what the? 
And <laughs> you, you still have, you know, it's just like a Ferrari. You have to take your Ferrari back to the mechanic. You have to put gasoline in it. You yes. have to take care of it. And this is a real scientific instrument. When we were working with million dollar scientific instruments, we had to run calibrations. Someone had to take care of it. There was a guy that was the technician for this instrument. And so now the athlete has to be that. And, you know, you have to take your SRM off and send it back. And but when you do everything like they tell you in, in the manual, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to read good and and be a very... Thank you for saying that. I <laughs> There's a lot of blowback in the power mirror world about, well, why can't I just change the battery myself? I have to send it in once a year? What am I going to ride then? Mm-hmm. Come on, man. If you can't give up your power meter for one or two weeks a year, you're missing something. So you just, you just touched on one for me because this is, I, sorry, I'm anti-SRM. Right, I right. owned one and my whole reason was I need to get the battery changed. It took 400, four months, cost me $900. Well, that's a horror yeah. story. It was that's an true. absolute horror story of yeah. going back and forth, yeah. of sending it for a battery change, getting back a power meter that didn't work, having them charge me to resend it okay. to them and keep charging so, me. So I have I I don't have an issue with their their power meter. I have an issue with their customer, customer service, service, which I hope is better. So we all have stories about the Mercedes that blew up or whatever. Like, right. Like they're all electronic devices. All electronic devices will eventually fail. All battery operated devices will eventually fail. Yeah. The question is, what's the rate? What kind of data is it giving you? Yeah. So from my perspective, SRM gives the most reliable, consistent data for sure. I've had lots of customers who've had stories like yours, unfortunately, but I've also heard them from all other manufacturers. Which is fair. So I. I, this is a cycling world thing. Like we try, we get to be very tribalistic about our devices that we like or don't like, and you have one bad experience and it ruins the device. I try to look at it much more objectively than that. There are lemons in every, every company produces lemons. The, the question is, is the manufacturing of the device sound? Then that's a step forward for me. We ask so much of our electronics in this modern day and age. And then people complain about sending it back. Now, you're So the only thing I'm going to continue with my, my story is after that, I actually started working with Quark to help test their, their products. And we had a lab with a scientific Bellatron in it, which was the gold standard at the time. And we put several uh, SRMs and several Quarks up against the Bellatron. And the Quark performed better. Awesome. So I've always been a... Since then, I've become a Quark well, guy. What defined better, though? It was... The data that we got from the cork uh, matched the Velotron data better than the SRM. But by, I mean, what I'm asking is what, what was the difference? And was mm-hmm. it consistently off or was it? It was, yeah. Reliability versus. So the cork was about a little under 1% off and consistently a little under 1%, where with the SRM, we were seeing about 3, 4% off. Okay. Yeah. It's not nothing. My, my I, I love cork and I, my issue with cork is the, calibration between the big ring and the little ring oftentimes was different. So athletes would set what you thought was really good power numbers climbing in the little ring. And then they would get back on the flat in their big ring and underperform and you're scratching your head like, why, why can't you, what was going on? And then later on, I learned about the the difference in ring calibrations. For so the, that's, for the cork. but that's true of both. Uh, so yeah. the quark has since, uh, I don't know about SRM, but I know quark has since addressed that, but it used to be to get the most accurate power data with both the SRM and the quark, you had to have Durace chain rings. Mm. Yeah. That's what they were designed Industry towards. standard equipment. Yeah. Yeah. For some. So Chris, I've been staying at your place for close to two weeks now. Are you ready to kick me out on yes. the streets? 
Pretty sure your wife is still trying to figure out whether she's going to kick me out or both of us out because we have had multiple nights now where we're sitting there on the floor talking about fast talk, both of us in our Normatex. She kind of gave us one look and I'm not sure what she was thinking. Well, we're not astronauts, but we play them at night. <laughs> Do you want to look like a space band too? Working on your holiday wish list? Normatech is the ultimate athlete gift. For a limited time, you can save $200 and get free shipping on the Pulse Recovery System. An extensive body of research shows that Normatech increases circulation and reduces muscle stiffness. The result is that you can train harder and race faster. Normatech is the official supplier of USA Cycling and is also the same technology that riders like Tom Scoonch, Taylor Finney, and the BMC Racing Team all rely on. When we had Neil Henderson and Rebecca Roosh in the studio to talk about coaching, we also had a chance to quickly ask them what gifts they would want. They had some great ideas, including things that would be a little harder to wrap. Is there any cool things on the horizon or, or new products that either of you would say that would make a really cool gift, either for somebody in your family or yourself? Time. <laughs> the ability to do any of those things, use any of those tools without the normal day-to-day -day stressors. I think that's the that's the key. So a spa visit is what you would like. Well, training day visit with no interruptions. Nah. You don't have to carry a cell phone. You have a follow car with all the fuel <laughs> and spare wheels and just like luxury training days with whatever tools are available. You know, mm. rent a luxury training day. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> kind of sounds like a camp. Going to have to put that together. I have a, yeah, I have a, a couple ideas here. <laughs> One, I think experiences are the best gifts. So a training camp for somebody, I'm hosting some training camps in Idaho or a, a race experience to a really cool place that you wanted to travel to. There is nothing more motivating for your training than having something on the agenda that you're really excited about in a cool location. So I think those make great gifts, especially if you go along with that person um, and it becomes a family thing. An actual physical item that I've been using that I'm pretty excited about for anybody who goes off the beaten path a little bit more is the Garmin InReach, which is a satellite communication device that you pair with your phone and you can basically let people know they can follow along on your route or you can let them know you're okay or you can actually signal for help if, if something happens. And where I ride, I live in Idaho, there's not a lot of cell phone coverage and I go out and do long things alone all the time. And so that's a really cool gift for somebody who, who does a lot of out in the boonies sort of riding or training and, and they've gotten way smaller. It's, 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 it's pretty teeny weeny thing that it's not a big deal to stuff in your pocket or I just have it in my camelback all the time. So that's a really cool item that one keeps you safe. And then it's also fun for your friends to see, to see where you went and you can, you can share that as well. Great answers. I love those. Cool. And if anybody wants to come and spend some time training with Chris and I in the mountains after a week of that, you'll go home, look at your winter trainer and just go, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best gift we can give you. Or a Join fat bike for people winter training. A fat bike so yeah, they don't have to bike. go on the trainer so much inside. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Cyclocross bike does it pretty well too, but fat bikes, when, when you're up there far north, even better. Uh, subscription to uh, the suffer pass then you have the, the yoga <laughs> mental training strength training outside of the bike too stocking stuffer perfect <laughs> all right let's get back to our conversation and a tool that you may never have even heard of this next device trevor and i have a little bit of experience with i'm not sure if frank has any experience with leomo or colby you have some experience so yeah let's open it up 
maybe Trevor, why don't you, since you own personally own one, um, went out and purchased one after using it when we did some experiments on climbing with the performance center over at the university, why don't you give us your uh, take on Leomo? So again, for anybody who doesn't know what this is, uh, this is essentially a on-the-road biomechanical analysis device. So you put little um, accelerometers on your feet, on your thighs, and then one on your, your sacrum, so your, your lower back. Uh, and now they also have the option to put one on your chest. And it measures a whole variety of information, including the, your foot angles as it goes through the pedal stroke, dead spots in your pedal stroke, your pelvic angle, pelvic rotation, pelvic rock, um, a whole variety of really good biomechanical information. And Colby, going back to what you were saying about new or unique information that tells you something about yourself as an athlete, to me, this is just a whole area that until I'd seen the Leoma hadn't really been touched out on the road. They could do it in labs at a good fitting studio, but they couldn't do it out on the road. I certainly have my opinions about it. As I said, I, as Chris said, I bought one um, and absolutely love it and, and use it with my athletes. So I'm a big believer. But before I, I share some of my thoughts, how do you two feel about it? So I was with the Leoma <laughs> for about a month. I think it's a device that has a lot of promise. I think that it's uh, well executed. I mean, considering how much data they're trying to collect and and get it to a head unit, it works pretty amazingly well. I mean, in 2018, to me, the litmus test of any techie device is, can I just pick it up, find the on button and start figuring out how to use it? Because we've come far enough in user interface to where if you have to go online and read a manual or read a paper instruction manual, they did it wrong in my opinion. And the Leomo definitely passed that test for the most part and they've got five sensors. That's a lot of data. Not sure what that does to your nervous system to have all those electrical waves <laughs> flying around. But I think that, as you mentioned, Trevor, uh, it's got the five sensors, two on the thighs, two on the feet, and then one on the sacrum and or on the chest. What I liked about it was it gave me data. Uh, what I questioned was, was that data really actionable? I don't think the thigh average angle is that useful of a data point, to be honest. Does it tell us things about the trends of how athletes are fatiguing during five-hour rides? There, okay, there are lots of ways you can look at it. It tells you how the athlete is moving and whether it potentially flags some asymmetries. In my opinion, as a fitter, it doesn't get to the bottom line of where the most useful asymmetry data would come from. And I've given them, I've given them that feedback when I worked on it with the, worked on them with the device. And I'll get to what I think that is in a moment. But it so it gives you data. Is the data useful? Some of it kind of is. A lot of it I think could use improvement. The foot range, uh, the foot angle, I think can be useful. The thigh angle, I don't think is that useful. The sacrum is frustrating for me because really what I want to see is the differences between left and right pelvic rock and rotation, not gross pelvic rock and rotation. And I think from a, so I can tell you from a fit standpoint, from my own perspective, the common denominator of what I see when most athletes walk through my door, the vast majority, when they have problems on the bike, it's that it's pelvic stability and there's a gross difference in left and right, either pelvic rotation or rock. We can't quantify that with a Leomo. So if we could, that would be very useful from a fitting standpoint. And I think it would get to the bottom line of a lot of rider asymmetries. So I would love to see them change things a bit and move in that direction. But that said, I think the device has promise as a, on the whole, as a company, I think that they're sort of torn between what they can do and what they feel the market needs. And I think they're honestly dumbing down their articles quite a bit and their content on their site quite a bit because they don't want to make too many 
they're trying to do two things. One, they're trying to educate their public and their audience about what the device can do. Okay, that's fine. But I think they're moving at what I would describe as a glacial pace in that department. <laughs> like people can handle a lot more, in my opinion. Two is... Um, I, I do think in that sense, they are still trying to figure out exactly... As you said, they're collecting all this data. It is so new. They're still figuring yeah. out what do we do with all yes. this data. And I think that's one of the issues so, yeah. because it's such an early... It's a, product. it's a big step forward, and a lot of people look at it and go, that's really neat. What does it mean? And I think yeah. it could be revolutionary, honestly. Mm. Like if it if this information is tied in with power figures and pedal stroke uh, and power balance and all of those types of things, I think it could really be a fascinating... Which, which it is. When you look at the display, which the display is amazing. It's made, I think it's made by the same factor that makes the iPhone display. So it's a touch display. It works really well. It's very easy to read considering the amount of data. But just so people know, you do sync it with your AMP Plus power meter and you see power data on the display. You also yep. see it in the file. Okay. And you do see, so, and heart rate. And there's, so there's really a lot of data there. So you do get, I mean, you can collect an amazing amount of data in a short period of time with that thing and look at it and go, wow, what does this mean? Yeah. In Trevor's case, I know you were talking about what what is, what actionable things can this data tell you? I think in Trevor's case, it has told him exactly what he can do to help so I can, give you a, I can give you a couple examples. And I will say, I think eventually this is going to be a great tool for fitters because when you get somebody in a studio on a, a trainer, they're going to sit on the bike differently than they are out in the road. And you can do the fit in the studio, then hook this up to them and say, okay, now let's see how it's translating to the road. As yep. you said, there's some a little more data that they need, like the, the difference between the left and the right and the, the pelvic rock, things like that. But you can say, how is this translating? Mm-hmm. I had two really interesting personal experiences. One was with the pelvic angle, which is actually, I have one screen that's just this giant pelvic angle number. So just so people know, pelvic angle is the angle of the sacrum relative to horizontal is what you're measuring, basically. So in an aero bar position, you'd be really low. Sitting up at the top, you'd be very high. But what's important about this is it's not just looking at how aerodynamic you are. It's looking at, do you have a flat back or are you riding with a rounded back? Mm -hmm. And when you have a very rounded back, that's going to be a big number. So I went out and did my first ride with the the Leomo, came back, read about the pelvic angle and what they said that meant. And one of the things they pointed out was people with a high number can often have back problems because you're riding with a very Mm -hmm. rounded back. So I said, you don't want to be over 50. So I looked at my ride, 63. I went, oh, Hmm. and I have been having back problems for the last three, four years. So I spent the entire base season of 2018 with this Leomo, just staring at that number, trying to flatten my back. So stop riding around it. Just get the back flattened, get that number down. And by the spring, I had it down around 51, 52, still not down in the low 40s that they recommend, Mm -hmm. but had it down in the low 50s. This is the first year I have ridden without any back pain. In years. That's so interesting. So do you have the right saddle on your bike? Because now you're increasing perineal pressure. So going down a bike fit rabbit hole. Uh, now I, oh, I do need to get completely refit because one of the you know the I thing know, that I yeah. figured out on my own is because when you ride with a rounded back, you you pull your shoulders back. So I had to have a very high handlebars and a very short stem. So I had to put a lower stem and a much longer stem on my bike to adjust. But I know the rest of my position is off. And one of the really interesting things that I notice is my back problem actually elevates my my left hip when it's bugging me. And that had become so chronic. The last time I had a, a bike fit, they they shimmed me. Mm. So now when I ride with Leomo, so before my my it shows you the range of motion that your your thighs go through. 
uh, when I was riding with a very rounded back, it was very equal. Mm-hmm. Now it's completely unequal because I think I'd have to take that shim out because I've gotten my hips back mm-hmm. in alignment. When you were riding and looking at your angle, were you doing anything off the bike to improve your your the, this angle Range we're talking motion, about? Like were you doing mobility. yoga, foundation, stretching, all that? Or just forcing yourself into it? Or just position. thinking about it? I, I have a whole back routine that I've oh, been doing okay. for years okay. and have been frustrated that it hasn't been accomplishing anything. And mm-hmm. I really think it's been sitting on the bike in that mm-hmm. really rounded, bad, bad position has been counteracting everything. And now that I've gotten it, flattened out mm-hmm. so really this amounts to there's a device uh i can't remember recall what it's what the name is but it's a device you wear in between your shoulder blades and whenever you round your back it kind of gives you a little yep. a little zinger and it makes you sit upright I, I don't recall the name of it but effectively this was this device for you it gave you instant gave me a number on your pelvic angle this and thing, helped you refine your riding yep. posture this thing you're talking about it shocks you Yes. Our, <laughs> well, it's like a cattle so I prefer mine over the other. <laughs> Maybe it just vibrates, but let's just say it shocks. Yeah, it, remind, it, it, it indicates that you've done yes. something inappropriate. Yes. Okay. It's a postural cue device. There you go. And Forget the loan with Trevor. I'm just going to ride behind you with a cattle prod. <laughs> Straighter spine. Straighter spine. The other thing they'll quickly bring up is uh, they have your, your foot angle range of motion, which was also really bad with me. I am an absolutely horrible sprinter. And I kind of experimented with this and worked on reducing that that range of motion that my ankle goes through. So really trying to keep my ankle more locked when I Mm -hmm. sprint. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to I'm still not going to win any race, but I am sprinting better than I've ever sprinted. Interesting. Hmm. Actionable items. Actionable items. So I look at this as this is a wealth of data that we're just still it's going to be a year or two before they figure out. What does all this mean? How do you you take action on it? But I think there is something there. That's my opinion. Could be seen as a device that helps athletes on the bike refine their postural awareness. And well, the first step to that is education. Yeah. And I think you are extremely sensitive and aware of posture because of the way you're built, because of the types of riding that you do. So uh, in a sense, you're not the user of choice maybe for Leomo because you're so aware of that stuff and you've thought about all of that positional stuff a lot and you're a fitter. Whereas I'm not saying Trevor doesn't, but other people out there that have a a lot uh, narrower sense of all of these things could benefit a lot from, Mm -hmm. from the Leomo, maybe more so than you. Funny side story. When I was, I did my first national championships in 1989 in Colorado Springs and I saw a photograph of myself racing and I looked at it. It was a side shot. I had a very rounded spine. Hmm. And I had no coach, no fitter, bike fitters didn't exist in 1989, but I just looked at it and went, that's not right. And I did what you did only without any angular feedback for the next six months. I rode around straightening my spine. I'm not sure why I had the intuition to do that. I mean, I was just very rounded and most of my career, I've not had any back problems. Uh, I was going to say, you might've saved yourself a lot of pain. It's possible. I don't know. And that was probably blind luck. You know, I was a 17 year old kid. I could have just as easily said, I need to be more rounded and spent six months trying to ball myself up. (laughs) But that's not the way it happened. The Graham Obrey direction. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Turn him into an egg. (laughs) The other thing, so Chris and I did that, that climbing article Mm -hmm. and we hooked Sep and myself up to Leomos to, to see our data for the climbing. And the one thing that really stood out was Sep had no dead spot scores. It was just absolutely beautiful. And then you look at me and I just tried really hard to say we don't have the room in the magazine to print that uh, because it looked (laughs) horrible. 
So that parallels my experience, which is interesting. Um, my dead spot scores, dead spot scores, which for readers or listeners who don't know, dead spot scores, it's a little bit controversial because some people disagree on it. But the idea is that it's the simply how smoothly you're delivering power to the pedals would be a way to phrase it. It's how much foot motion you have during the stroke, particularly at the bottom of the stroke, is where it tends to show up from the, most of the data I've seen. And for me, my dead spot score is extremely low at high cadences, even at very, very high power. But send me up super flagstaff, which is a local climb that gets up into the high teens in terms of gradient, and my dead spot score gets atrocious. So no, track I, experience, right? Do you think that has um, something to do with well, it? Well, chicken egg. I actually yeah. think that naturally I just produce better power at higher cadences, and I'm more challenged to produce power at higher torques. And mm. I've kind of always seen that in my competitive results. Put me on a steep climb, even at the same cadence as my peer group, and I tend to get dropped, even though ostensibly I'm a light guy. And people go, oh, you probably climb really good. Well, no, not really. Um, <laughs> I just make better power more consistently at higher cadences. Huh. So, And I could see that clearly in the data. So that was... It was interesting, but I've talked to a few other people who say mm, the dead spot score isn't quite what it should be. And I, that's one other area I think they could refine. I think the sensor placement on the shoe could be a bit better. That yeah. said, getting a sensor in the same place on everyone's shoe is challenging. Any thoughts, Frank? Never used it, right? I have never used it. I've talked to a lot of people that have. When I first was became aware, I looked at how much it cost. And I was like, oh, that's a lot. And then I... I personally didn't invest in it and I couldn't like recommend it to the athletes that I coached. I couldn't tell them what it would do for them. And so I didn't go down the, the road and I've kind of been waiting for everyone else to tell me what I can do with it. And I'm still waiting. So let's do our go around the room. Yay, nay, or yay with a addendum. Yeah, I think it is an expensive device. It's one of those things that I see a lot of potential in and maybe like like I think it was Frank said, if this is the first generation in 20 years from now, like power meters, there's been as much refinement and evolution in the product, even if it's two years from now or five years from now, it could be a, a very, very uh, interesting device with a lot of um, good information that will help riders perform better. So maybe it's not quite there yet. We're, again, sort of first-generation users of this device, some of us in this room. And so I'm kind of a yay, but maybe wait a little while before you go out and invest in it. Sorry, Liamo. Yeah, I would give it a, a yay with, again, with caveats. I think that there's some development to come. But, you know, even given Trevor's story alone, you can see how it could be useful for people to yeah. increase postural awareness on the bike. and. For me as a fitter, I'm looking at it from a fitter lens, but also a coaching lens. And from a coaching lens, I think I could see some value in that uh, in, in, in an instructive sense. But I also foresee that being um, a somewhat, hopefully a finite window where I would loan it to a rider for a month. Perhaps they would use it. They would learn how to sit better on the bike. We would then, of course, adjust their fit according to those new postural parameters. And then they would ostensibly be sort of educated in that and they would ride that way moving forward. Um, and hopefully not slip into old patterns. And then then the device would no longer be necessary. So I think it's got it's got some some merit in that respect. But again, I would like to see him refine some things and there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. So I'm gonna be a big yay on the Leomo for a couple of reasons. One is well, first addressing what you just said, I think um, it's very valuable for coaches for exactly that reason. You can lend it to athletes, you can check their data for a couple of weeks and really help them get that postural awareness. But I also remember last spring, I, I showed this to a lot of the athletes that are at our, in our club. 
and many of them have three power meters. Mm-hmm. And you sit there and go, well, instead of buying the fourth power meter, why don't you get something that gives a little bit mm-hmm. different data? And we do get obsessed with, you know, what's the power I'm putting out? What's my normalized power? But that neuromuscular postural side, the pedal stroke is so undervalued, uh, the, the difference that makes in cycling. I think this is just a whole new set of data that addresses a very important, often undervalued side of cycling. And I do think as they analyze this, as they develop this tool, they're going to figure out more and more, how do you use this data? What does it mean? I just think we're in the very early days. Okay, so I think we got one more product here to talk about, or a range of products, and this is foam rollers. So we can talk a little bit about these rumble rollers that have the big torture-looking knots and things in them to, to really dig into your legs. Um, but also there's this new product of vibrating rollers, which are starting to pick up. So let's talk a little bit about both. I don't know how much, ex- I know all of us have had experience here with rollers, I don't know if anybody here has had, uh, besides myself, has had any experience with vibrating rollers. So why don't we start with just regular rollers, foam, rumble rollers. How do you guys feel? I have one of those white styrofoam rollers. We got about 20 about 10 years ago to do a foam rolling clinic. (laughs) So I've got a a very good supply of them and that's all I've ever used. (laughs) Like super hard density. The white styrofoam. And we saw them in half. Not a tundra noodle like the kids play with in the pool. That's right. So they're about (laughs) six feet wide and uh, I I sawed them into three pieces. Okay. But they, I don't know, are there, I guess my question would be, is there a difference between those and then these new fancy, everyone's nodding their head. So in terms of research, there have been several studies showing that the firmer a roller is, and especially when it has some of these, what do you want to call them, knots, bumps, textures, textures, thank you, do seem to perform better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of the metrics they use are your your pain tolerance or threshold Mm -hmm. and also flexibility. So they do show that when you do some foam rolling, at least in the short run, it improves your flexibility a little bit. So those have been two of the common metrics. And they do show that these firmer textured rollers seem to do a little better than the softer foam rollers. What's been your experience, Colby? I'm a huge fan of the textured rollers. Uh, a couple of them I, I have used with my clients and I recommend for my clients are the rumble roller, which as you rumble. suggested, has like a big kind of finger looking protuberances and they're quite firm. Another one I'm a huge fan of is called the Gator. And then there's one called the uh, Gemini. These are all made by... Um, I can't recall the website. Anyway, go forth and Google if you want to find them. But these tools all have engineered textures that are specifically designed to kind of apply shear force and pull the fascia away from the muscle. And that's really the goal is to allow the muscle to glide through the myofascial sheath smoothly. When you have adhesions and when you've got all those, really it's just protein chains that are stuck to your muscles and everything's glued together, then you can't make force or make power with a supple muscle. You want that muscle to glide in and out of there freely. And Cycling is a repetitive aerobic endurance exercise. If you just keep doing it and then you sit in your office chair and drive your car to and from work and fly your airplane across the country, you will get locked up into Ichabod Crane, old man, question mark posture. And this is not a desirable way to live life or make good power on a bike. So these tools are are pretty powerful. Um, And, you know, I'm just as big of a bike dork as anybody. I love to go out and ride my bike and I'd rather do that than foam roll. But what I've learned is the more proactive I am about my off-the-bike exercises, including myofascial release, the more enjoyable my bike rides are. So I do a full body routine two or three times a week. 
I usually do it on my recovery days and then I'll hit specific areas every day. I tend to stay away from the more tender areas on days where I want to go harder. So for example, I won't roll out really aggressively my IT bands or quads on days where I'm going to go do intervals. I found that that just doesn't mash well. And Trevor, maybe you can comment on where the science supports it, the order on that kind of thing. That's what I found personally. I also always move from the extremity or from the distal to the proximal. So towards the heart, basically, those are my Always roles. any sort of compression. So that's massage. That's things like the Normatex. That's things like foam rollers, which by the way, we did a recovery episode before. And what's showing up in the research is that compression, any sort of compression recovery is the best, but always, always towards the heart because you have one way valves in your veins that help blood flow and you massage or do any sort of compression away from the heart, you damage those valves. Yep. So when you're like rolling out your hamstrings, your IT band, don't go back and forth, just right. go So put toward. the you put the pressure on when uh-huh. it's rolling towards your heart uh-huh. and then you unweight it to I bring it back, back to the, the starting way. position. Yep. All right. You learn something every day. Mm-hmm. And Thanks. if you ever go to a massage therapist and they start massaging yeah. away from your heart, don't see them again. Right. Run for your life. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of these tools. Um, you know, some of them, they have different shapes. Like the Gemini is kind of shaped like two pairs that are glued together. It's sort of a more evolved version of what some people have made a homemade version of, which is two racquetballs duct taped together, or two tennis yeah. balls. So you can imagine that will work really well on the muscles on either side of your spine, right? Lumbar musculature, for example, or dig into kind of some of the knots in your shoulders and things. And so there are all kinds of creative ways to do that. Another tool that I'll mention that's a neat one that not a lot of people know about in my experience is called the So Right. That's P-S-O. I think it's R-I-T-E, and it looks like two giant hands that are kind of separated by maybe about eight inches, sort of a U-shaped device. And if you've ever gone to a massage therapist and he or she has dug their hand deeply just inside your hip bone to release the psoas, which is usually a pretty deep muscle to access and requires quite a bit of pressure and can be a bit painful, especially if it's a bit wound up, the right is designed to allow you to do that yourself. So you put it on the floor and you lay on top of it. Again, one of those awkward moments when someone walks in and they're not quite sure what you're doing, <laughs> but uh, all in the name of sports performance. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, but it's a great tool. And I, I have one in my office and whenever I do a bike fit and people come in, I say, hey, try this thing out for a minute. And they go, inevitably, they say, wow, their, their impression is I didn't know there were devices made that could help me do this myself. And let's be realistic. Like we've all got limited time and resources and money. It'd be awesome to have a super, super uh, dialed in massage therapist that you could access three times a week endlessly, but most people don't have those means. So, right. So if we got any takeaway here is uh, Colby first job as a coach, but he seems to have a small SMM studio on the side here. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it takes to get it done. So vibrating foam rollers, this is a fairly new technology. There's several companies out there that are now putting them out and it's so new. The, the first research study on them was in July of 2017. So tons of research showing benefits of foam rollers, tons of research showing benefits of, of vibration therapy, which helps blood flow. So somebody finally said, let's do a study where we look at the two together. So they looked at that pain tolerance. Um, they looked at flexibility. They also looked at markers of inflammation, so creatine kinase, things like that, to, to check recovery 24 hours later. And what they found was regular foam roller is better than nothing, but the vibrating fo- foam roller was better than both. Interesting. So is it battery powered? Yes. So I actually briefly worked with a guy Why who was developing smiling? one. <laughs> And he is, that was an issue. His was plug-in only. Plug-in only. And you would get wrapped up in the, in the cable. So our first feedback to him was, you got to get a battery in there. (laughs) How much are these? Like what you were talking about, like your. So the rumble roller, I think is about 50 or 60 bucks. Um, Mm -hmm. 
the battle, uh, there's a round one, I can't recall. It's about a six inch diameter blue ball with texture on it that's great for getting in your shoulders and stuff. I think that's about 30 bucks, 40 bucks. So totally you can easily it. spend $150 on this stuff. But mm -hmm. um, like you said, if you're paying 75 or $100 for a massage, it doesn't take long mm -hmm. for those tools to pay off. And and I think instead of looking at it as I have to do this for an hour every three days, you leave him in the living room. Don't let your dog find it because he's going to think it's his <laughs> dog ball and chew it up. But, you know, then when you have your post uh, dinner half hour of Colbert or whatever you're watching, you can get something done instead of lay on the couch and, and make that Ichabod crane posture come back. One other thing really worth mentioning about the foam rollers is they have shown you don't want to stretch before exercise or before a race or an event like that because it can hurt your performance. That's actually not the case with the, the foam rollers. Because they help your pain tolerance, there's actually been some uh, evidence of it helps performance even before an event. So if you want to do something as part of your warm-up, doing 5-10 minutes of, of foam rolling can actually be beneficial. Never used. You've never used a foam roller? That's impressive. I know. I was I was wondering if I should say that's an embarrassing thing to say, or I'm that I, I'm I'm proud of it in a way because I'm <laughs> I'm like that. But you might look at me and be like, "What an idiot!" We've just talked about the benefits of these things, and they're so easy to use, and you've never used one. But that's just me. I generally think I'm lucky in that I don't have injuries. We've talked about this before on on episodes like. I'm just lucky, and maybe one day it's going to catch up to me. It probably will, but at this point. I don't think it's luck. You're a mutant. Uh, <laughs> He's a mutant. Yeah. When I started working with Chris. He's like, I've never used a heart rate strap. I've never used a power meter. I don't foam roll. I don't wow. do any sort of recovery. This and it's sleep just three go, hours. How are you alive? <laughs> I get a lot of sleep. I get a lot of sleep. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I shouldn't be on this show because I'm not a device guy until recent times. I can, I can certainly speak to some of this stuff, but yeah. Well, I think that illustrates the point of biochemical individuality. Sure. You know, I, like, look, I mean, ultimately, we're all seeking greater performance on the bike, even if it's not competitive performance. It's just that no chain ride, perhaps. But some people may get an enormous pair of Normatec boots and say, those were really neat, but I didn't really feel anything. Sure. Whereas for me, yeah, they're clearly, every time I get in them, I feel better. Yep. Uh, so you really have to kind of figure out what works for you and your rhythm and what's going to be useful for you. It's all about low-hanging fruit. So certainly, if we're going to have a, a quick one-minute take-home for all this stuff, mine is, if you have the opportunity, you've heard what we think of these products, try one. Yeah. Find a friend who has some Normatex mm -hmm. or a Leomo or one of these products and, and try it for Email a Trevor so you can borrow his Leomo. Come over to my place. <laughs> <laughs> gadgets <laughs> for sale. Gadgets for sale or for lease. <laughs> yeah. Frank, do you have a one-minute takeaway that captures all of this? Yeah, sure. So I'm reminded of a graphic that Dr. Asker Zhukendrup yeah. put out a number of years ago in his uh, book, Cycling Performance. And it was uh, what to buy to get the most aero gains. And I do believe disc wheel blew everything out of the water. So um, it, he, he has this graphic with these bars and there's a disc wheel. It saves you one minute, 10 seconds in like a 40 KTD. And then everything else was like, 30 seconds with the helmet and then the skin suit was what, whatever it was. And then we're all the way down to like booties and it's like five seconds. And so the, the reason why I'm reminded of it is all these devices that we've talked about. I'd put power meter up there with disc wheel mm -hmm. and then everything else is going to be maybe like, you know, marginal gains. But nevertheless, if we're in the vein of Christmas <laughs> and you want to give a gift, it's, you know, it's fun to get a, a new toy and, and try something out. And all of those marginal gains add up. That's the point. Like if you had all, if you got 
every one of the things we talked about here oh, today. You'd three minutes. Probably easily. be a national champion. Probably. Oh my God. I just picture somebody walking around in Normatech boots with little sensors all over their feet and legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a foam roller on their back. <laughs> you've got to take, just terrifying take the Normatechs off before you do the hour record. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no one told me that. It didn't say that in the manual. Colby, do you have a one minute summary? Uh, buy everything. Yeah? <laughs> no, actually, um, don't fall in lust with consumerism. I'd say the opposite. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I agree with Frank. I think I think that's good good <coughs> advice. Uh, power meter is is clearly uh, one of the top of the list here. Um, you know, given our discussion, our somewhat heated discussion about which one to buy. But um, look for our episode on power meters in the future because I think there's so much to talk about there that we sh- we should definitely delve into that topic a bit more. And we actually did one a while back, which is probably getting a little outdated, talking about okay. just about power meters and, and which mm-hmm. to buy. And it was just as heated. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, polarizing conversation. It is. So, for sure. I think ultimately the cyclist has to look at embracing technology with a bit of a skeptical eye or the coach or anyone in the sport really from any perspective. Uh, because there is a limit. Just because it's a neat gizmo and gadget doesn't mean you need to buy it. doesn't mean it, needs to, it tells you anything useful. There are a lot of devices out there that cost quite a bit that are, have complicated user interfaces and do all sorts of whizbing things, but you look at what it actually gives you as an athlete. Is it actionable or is it just more noise and more data? So right now we're having an explosion of devices overall. doesn't mean you need to go buy it. Let it, let, let things settle out. Let it have uh, the test of time, you know, and see, see what people are learning from it. Then decide if it's going to apply to you. Because if you are constantly sniffing out new things and buying new devices and you're going to get buried in information, it's not going to be actionable necessarily. So I think there's a balance there. Perfect. Thanks, guys. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at velonews.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, The Velo News Podcast, which covers news about the week in cycling. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Fast Talk is a joint production between Velonews and Connor Coaching. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Chris Case, Colby Pierce, Frank Overton, Rebecca Roosh, and of course Neil Henderson, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.